Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Anna, good to be with you all this morning again Uh, and I want to thank Dana for uh, working hard to prepare worship uh, for us and to do it in a different way this time we just uh, wanted to have fun see how that would work see if it um, yeah is worth pursuing Uh, so yeah that was good well done Dana and so a film came out recently maybe in the last two or three years uh, about a family and a family going on a skiing holiday. So this family was a mum, a dad and two kids kind of in their early teenage years. And uh, as this film goes, we see that this dad has his mobile phone with him all the time. Okay, He's constantly on his phone. He is entirely ignoring his family. So they have dinner together. He's on his phone, just tapping away, whether he's working or just surfing Facebook or whatever it is, tapping away on his phone. In the evening, when they're relaxing together, tapping away on his phone, looking at his phone, not his family, not his wife, not his kids. And it's a skiing holiday, right? So we're supposed to look at them and think, you guys are pretty well off, okay? Affluent family. It's supposed to be like, this is perhaps picture perfect Facebook family. And yet there is a big problem at the heart of this family. And one day on this holiday, they are sat eating dinner in a restaurant, skiing holiday, sat in a restaurant, they're out on the balcony, okay? It's an amazing view of all of these mountains, snow covered uh, mountains next to them. So they're eating their dinner, dad obviously on his phone, uh, and they're beautiful surrounding the cave. We're supposed to think, God, these people are privileged to be able to do this. And then there is a cracking noise off in the distance and a moment of pause and people are stunned. It often happens when something completely unexpected, potentially, you know, life-changing happens. There's a moment of stun, a moment of pause, and then just sheer panic because an avalanche is beginning. They can see it coming down the side of the mountain, coming directly at this restaurant. So the dad looks at his wife, looks at his kids, picks up his phone and legs it and doesn't help anybody, just grabs his phone and runs for his life, leaving his wife and his kids behind. He, in that moment, saved what was most important to him. And the rest of the film kind of deals with the mess of this situation, uh, of what was going on there. And it poses a fascinating question to us. The question is, what is at the very centre of your life? What is the most important thing? What are you building life upon? And often this is only exposed when pressure, when difficulty comes. So this morning, we are um, getting to Ezra 3. Like Anna said, we're working our way through the book of Ezra. And we're going to ask that question today. And just as you're sat in your homes, uh, hopefully happily and attentively listening to me right now and watching me, um, we will ask this question, what is your life built upon? And the story of Ezra and Nehemiah as well really tells 
uh, the journey of the people of Israel and their return from exile in Babylon back into Israel, into Jerusalem. And Ezra, particularly, this book talks about the rebuilding of the temple. And it tells the story of the people of God in three waves of returning. Okay, And this the first wave is in Ezra, uh, led by a guy called Zerubbabel, and about how he rebuilds the temple, how him and lots of other people rebuild the temple. And it's an important lesson, really, in how we build and what we build upon. So we're going to ask that question, looking at these passages today, what is your life built upon? And the first thing that we see is they build on the altar okay so let's read just the first three verses if you've got your bibles get them open to ezra i'm not going to put it up on the screen uh, you get to look at my beautiful face and listen to me um, but actually just have your bibles open in front of you so you can read that and not look at me uh, that would be a good thing so ezra 3 just the first three verses to start with it says when the seventh month came and the children of israel were in the towns the people gathered as one man to jerusalem then arose Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the temple of the altar of the God of Israel. Sorry, they built the, temp the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them, because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Okay, so huge amount happens in these verses. So let's kind of pick them out and see if we can understand what's going on, okay? So they have all arrived together. We read about this in Ezra 1 and 2. They've come out of Babylon. Probably about 50,000 of them have turned up back in Israel. And it says they had begun to settle in their towns. So they hadn't all just gone to Jerusalem. They'd begun to settle in the different towns, perhaps ancestral homes, perhaps places some of them remembered, perhaps places where the kids and, and maybe young adults had heard about. They'd gone back to these homes. But they are gathered at this moment into Jerusalem altogether because there was an urgent issue for them to deal with and it was not just enough for them to return it wasn't just about the geography of where they lived in fact I think uh, for God the, the, ge the geographical issue wasn't a high one and so it's important they came together and they had to live out their true purpose that's why they were coming together. And we get some hints about it here. So they are referred to as the children of Israel. Okay, so there is a family identity here. There is a family purpose. It's their gathered identity, their gathered purpose, what they all are meant to do together. And they are gathered, it says, as one man to Jerusalem. So it's saying, really, they all wanted the same thing. They were like one person. They had one kind of desire, one thought pattern, one thought, one intention. This is what all of us together want to do. Uh, and that unity of purpose is very, very powerful. Uh, and they were totally bought into it at this moment. Okay. So let's dig in a little bit more. What was their true purpose? Well, they were God's people. Okay. And we see this. It starts talking about Ezra, as he writes, starts talking about the priests. OK, and the, the role that the priests were going to play. And that's important, OK, because a priest's job was to represent Israel to God and then God to Israel. That was the, the job of the priests. OK, they were a little bit of the go between between the two of them. And actually, 
Israel itself is meant to be a kingdom of priests. The whole nation, uh, their purpose was meant to represent all of humanity to God and God to all of humanity. That, that was their role. And actually in the New Testament, Peter, uh, who was uh, one of Jesus' disciples, one of Jesus' best friends, he writes to churches and he describes the same thing. In his letter, 1 Peter, the first one he wrote, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Okay, so the church today, very similar to the people of Israel. So as we build church, as we build faith, as we think about Manchester, we think about Ashton, Oldham, Denton, as we think about our family lives, perhaps people in our family who aren't believers, perhaps we think about the places that we work, or maybe the friendship groups that we're part of, we must start when we think about all of those things with our true purpose. We are God's chosen people. We are his royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. It's pretty grand, isn't it? So Christchurch Manchester, you are chosen. You're not here by accident. I don't even think you're, you're a member of this church just by fluke. You may have had an odd journey into faith, or you may have had a strange route into CCM, but you are meant to be here. You're also royal CCM. You are the family of God. Now, you might be sitting thinking, or you might just think this in life. I'm no one special. My, my faith really doesn't amount to very much. I do the best I can, but it's a bit bumbling. It's not very impressive. And in some level, you're correct. But actually, your dad is God. Okay, you're part of a royal family and that makes you a little bit special. Your dad is God. Okay, you're part of the royal family and you're holy as well. So you are set apart by God to be different. That means you will look different. You will think different. You will sound different. You will behave different. You are holy and set apart. You're different to the world around you. As I was writing this, I was thinking particularly about our kids and our teenagers. Okay, those that go to school. And actually, being different in school is perhaps one of the hardest things, isn't it? But we are meant to be different. So those of you in high school who might be listening to this, it is not the easy path, but you are called to live for God. You are chosen, royal and holy. You are different where you are. And that all begins with understanding our identity as people. Now, often when we talk about identity, it's really easy to kind of focus in on our individual identity. And I think that is a little bit part of uh, faith in Christianity. But actually, the most significant is our identity, our purpose as a people. We are one man gathered together, one purpose, one intention. And to do what? OK, so build the altar. That's where we start. OK, so this is an odd building project as they go. We'd think they'd start with a foundation, which we'll get to in a minute. But actually, they start with the altar. Okay, you think foundation, walls, roof, then altar. No, altar. Why do they do that? What happens on an altar? Sacrifice is what happens on an altar. Sacrifice is the way that they came before God to make themselves right with God, to bring them back into relationship with their heavenly father. That's how they saw an altar. And the driving force behind this, really interesting, verse three says, they set altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples around them. 
okay and that is a realization that they needed help okay a realization we cannot do this on our own we have stepped out in faith we have come from babylon we've walked thousands of kilometers we are now here we realize actually this is a hostile place we need gods we desperately need him stepping out in faith for us means that we cry out to god just this week like we were talking about for alpha i invited a friend of mine to come along to the alpha course i've no idea if he's going to do it or not and that's up to him my part was to invite him uh, but i've honestly i've got no idea what i'm doing so i had to pray i pray like how do i how do I invite this guy? And uh, God give me a little bit of help because he took pity on me because I need help. Um, and, but that was a little bit part of faith, actually, saying, I, I don't really know what to do, but I know I'm meant to do something. And we can experience that in lots of different ways in life. When we step out in faith, at those moments, we need God. And sometimes uh, in church, we're like, well, okay, somebody needs to be a very sorted Christian before we let them step out in faith. Well, actually, sometimes the growing immaturity doesn't happen until your feet are on the ground and you're taking steps. They knew, the Israelites, that the altar gives access to God and they needed God. Faith actually begins to wither, begins to die when we think we can look after ourselves, when we become self-sufficient. Uh, actually, self-sufficiency is a total faith killer. Uh, it, it's a really a high value in our culture that we look after ourselves, we're independent, uh, that we're individuals, that we manage everything in life ourselves, but it is a total faith killer. We need the altar. We need Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the altar. He is also the temple. He brings us in to the presence of God. So we no longer need to go to Israel to go find what's left of the temple to make sacrifice there. We don't have to do any of those things because we have Jesus, because Jesus is the altar. His death on the cross is the sacrifice. In those moments, in the moments of him coming back to life again and the defeat of death, he deals with our self-reliance. He deals with our rebellion against God's. He puts us in a place where we can communicate with God and say, we need help, please. We want to live for you. And at this moment, you may feel like you need to be a bit rebuilt, maybe a bit like this temple, a bit broken, a bit knackered. Things perhaps haven't gone as you hoped they would. Perhaps it's a difficult phase in life. Perhaps you are sick. Perhaps you've stepped out in faith and it's difficult. Enemies surround you. Perhaps that's how you feel. So what do you build first? Well, you build the altar. You go to Jesus. You go to the one who restores you to the Father. At the altar, we make sacrifice. We do. And how do we do that? Jesus did it. Jesus sacrificed. And in that moment, we repent. We turn our lives back to God's we say, I want to live for you. We restore relationship with him. Jesus is the sacrifice. So firstly, we build the altar. Then what do they do? Again, strange building project, foundations come second. Any builder listening to this would know this is madness, but this is what they do. They then start building the foundations. And how do they do that? Well, the people, they start giving money. They start putting resources into it. It's actually very practical. Verse eight, of Ezra 3 says in the second month Zerubbabel and Jeshua made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen the priests and the Levites all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity 
They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. It's very simple. What did they do? They made a beginning. Now, it just sounds obvious, doesn't it? Well, of course, if you want to start something, you've got to start something. That's how it goes. You just have to get started. Now, at CCM, we, we talk about our cultures. A lot's really important to us. And we talk about the have-a-go culture. And that one particularly is important to us uh, because we like planting churches. That's what we do. It's one of the things that is really a high value. And we say, let's just have a go. But it's not just about that. Actually, I love it when people start businesses. We got a few friends in CCM who just had a go and thought, I'm going to start a business. Uh, and it's just a big step full of danger and turmoil and uh, faith and all sorts of things. I love it. It's, a, it's an incredible thing when people do it. Uh, I also, I get excited when somebody goes for a promotion. Actually, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to go for this. I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I'm going to go for it. Or perhaps it's when someone decides to start telling their friends about Jesus. Just thinking, actually, you know what? I know that this person needs Jesus. So I'm just going to tell him a story of something that's happened in my life uh, which will hopefully point him to Jesus. They make a beginning. It's your first step, regardless of how well it goes. Perhaps it's praying for someone who is sick. Perhaps it's speaking out prophetically for the first time. How do we do it? Well, it's very simple. You make a beginning. You decide to have a go. And rebuilding the temple is just a massive job. Okay, let's not underestimate it. And actually, as we read through this book, we're going to realize it took them years to do it with stops and starts and all sorts of difficulty. Uh, but they made a beginning. And in any massive job and any huge effort, you just have to take the first step. So for uh, CCM in Gorton, actually, I have big hopes for this. I, I think God wants to do big things. I I'm praying for site plants in Ashton, in Mosley. I'm also praying about the centre of Manchester, what we're going to do there. Um, but we go in very small steps, right? They have a big dream, but you've got to put one foot in front of the other. And our next step in Gorton particularly, and this sounds so knucklehead, I can't quite believe I put it in a preach, is to get into a new venue and to get used to the PA and to have some fun together. That is the next step. That's all I got, people. What's your vision for CCM? Uh, get in a building, work the PA, have a laugh. That's it. We need some community, don't we? We need some fun together. A lot of people uh, joined uh, Gorton just before lockdown. So there's a bunch of fun we need to have together to eat together, to get to know each other. That stuff for me, super important. But it is the next step because in 20 years, we'll look back and we'll see that through God's stacks of churches have been planted across Manchester believe that also in Europe as well and that, that's another story I'll tell you about but uh, we're going to be involved in church planning in Europe and that's beginning to happen already we'll also see just stacks of people give their lives to Jesus getting baptized we'll see the sick healed we'll see poor people become rich we'll see rich people become generous these are the things that will happen uh, and if we just think about that and then look at the one step that can be a bit daunting but actually just we make a beginning and then finally, what do they build on? They build on the altar, they build on foundations, and then they build on the future. Says many of the priests and Levites, this is verse 12. Many of the priests and Levites, heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept 
with a loud voice. They saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful sounds at shouting from people's weeping. And for the people shouted with a great shout and the shout was heard far away. So they've seen the foundation laid. Actually, just before these verses, they're praising God, they're worshiping, they're singing, they're having a great time together. But what's actually happening, there is weeping and shouting. The old people could remember Solomon's temple. Okay, So the gap between leaving Jerusalem, leaving Israel, uh, exile began maybe 50 years before this event. Uh, and now they're beginning to come back in. And so some of the old people can remember, this is how brilliant it used to be. I'm looking at the foundations now, and I can see that this temple is smaller, it is much less significant. They weren't praising God. They were saying, our best days are behind us. They were saying, we are weak. They are saying, we are a tiny, insignificant nation. Now, the young people born in captivity, have no memory themselves of how the temple used to be, what Jerusalem used to look like. They are shouting for joy. Okay. And what's going on here? You've got these two different reactions. Actually, I think it's pretty simple. I think change and moving forward, rebuilding is difficult. It's just, there's no other way of skinning this cat. Moving forward in the kingdom of God is difficult. It just is. There is hard work to be had. There is joy to be had. There are moments actually of pure joy. Of this is brilliant. How amazing has this gone? Uh, wow, this is fantastic. And moments of deep disappointment. This is not what I expected. This is not as good as it used to be. And actually the prophets of the time who were there in that moment, actually they wrote about this and spoke about this. In a, in a very short book of the Old Testament called Haggai, Haggai the prophet actually spoke directly into this incident. In Haggai 2, he says, Who is left among you who saw this house, that's the temple, in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing to your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And then a few verses later in Haggai, he says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So he's saying, look, the new temple, it's going to be so much better than the old one. This is what God is saying. And in that place, there will be great peace. Now, clearly, he is talking about the coming of the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus um, coming to Israel and being the true temple uh, where the whole of humanity is brought into peace with God. That is what they're talking about. That is a vision way beyond what the old and the young stood there can possibly imagine when they're looking at some ropey foundations. The kingdom of God is advancing. What God has for the future is better than the past. We always have to remember that. We build, when we build church, when we build faith, when we build life, uh, when we build family, work, all of those things for the kingdom of God, we build on a future hope. We don't build on past success or past failure. We build on what God is going to do. So just to finish CCM, uh, God is advancing his kingdom. 
I believe that. I think we're part of it. Uh, I, I believe that. And sometimes there's going to be joy. I mean, just it's going to be brilliant. We're like, this is fantastic. Look at how this is going. Look what God is doing. And sometimes there will be weeping. What has happened? Why has this not worked as I thought? What is going wrong? Sometimes it will be both things happening at exactly the same moment. And we won't be able to tell the shouting from the weeping. Even in our church right now, there are people going through times of joy. Great time. Where perhaps even lockdown has been good for them. And there will be others who are just suffering immensely. All that's happening in exactly the same moment. And we can look at what's going on. We can perhaps to be staring at the foundations. We'll feel like that and think, gosh, that looks small and insignificant. Perhaps our efforts to invite someone to Alpha. Uh, perhaps our, our, our trying to uh, pray for someone at work. Uh, perhaps even uh, thinking about our, how our work is going. Perhaps thinking about family life. Think, oh, gosh, it's kind of okay, but it looks a bit ropey, those foundations. But God will use it for what he wants. We build on the future, not on our success past or, or not on our past failure. Your faith, you may feel, makes very little difference. But God will use that for his kingdom. I'm going to pray for you real quick. Then I'm going to hand back to Anna, Charles and Mary. Uh, Lord God, Lord, we want to come before you. Lord, we want to build on the altar that is your son. Lord Jesus, we, uh, you are the place that we come to, the person we come to when we are surrounded. Lord, we build our life directed at you, at what you achieved on the cross, on your death, on your resurrection. That is the beginning point for everything. And Lord, we want to come before you this morning. If there are people listening to this right now who don't know you, Lord Jesus, who, or whose life is not directed at you, Lord, we come and we say, Lord, would in this moment, would you consider redirecting your life back to God, back to the altar of Jesus? Yes, Lord God. Amen.